Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlet on the Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we're here today because, uh, you know, we have, we're, we're t- doing something a little unusual. We're trying something new. Uh, we're going to not really talk about, once again, we're not really going to talk about current television, except, of course, when we talk about it all the goddamn time. Uh, instead, we're going to, we're we're going to talk about one of the things that makes us watch great TV that or it inspires us to seek it out. And I am, of course, referring to the existence of the TV crush. Right. And we're not strictly talking about somebody that you see on TV and are attracted to in a physical or sexual way. We're very much talking about someone that you just keep coming back to almost no matter what project they're doing. Um, it's it's often based in just a, an instinctual appeal, at least for me, and uh, and then kind of no matter what project they attach themselves to, that makes it more interesting to you, and you almost always seek it out. You're always kind of on the hunt for whatever they're going to end up doing, uh, even if it's very different from the project you first saw them in. Yeah, I mean, it, the idea is kind of kind of comes down to. I mean, it's we're talking about star power essentially. But it is, you know, a powerful thing. Like, you get connected with an actor in television, I think, on a level beyond the way you get connected with an actor in film. Because you do see them playing the same role over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And because you see them so much more often than you do with somebody in film, they're very much more a part of your day-to-day life than just, you know, the the, the Sylvester Stallones of this world. I mean... They're they're going to be around a lot more. You're going to be rewatching them a lot more, um, you know. And especially since you know we're TV people as it is, then we just have a stronger instinctual attraction. But yeah, there is there is a, a very big difference between just somebody who's a star, like somebody who's just a big deal that everybody cares about, and then you know these very personal choices that you kind of I don't know how to describe your you instinctually make that uh, that draw you to somebody more than somebody else. Yeah. So. The thing, of course, about the TV crush is that it can take you down some pretty dark paths because every actor has things they're very proud of on their resume and every actor has things they kind of wish didn't happen. But we track them down when we get when we really care. We want to see this stuff and then we oftentimes regret it. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, there are there are numerous options usually for for what you may have wished you hadn't seen them and what may have damaged that crush for a very limited time. Or maybe your friends would remind you, oh, hey, so-and-so is in this. He's not that great. And I'd be like, well, but he's in this and it's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So we've, we've, we've prepared a list, as we often do, to organize this conversation. And so we each have our own, we each have our two male and two female TV crush picks. And we're going to just reveal what it is they've made us watch and whether or not that was a good or a bad thing. So Ben, I'm going to make you start. Give me your first male TV crush. All right. Well, I want to preface this by saying I don't want any of my other male TV crushes to be hurt by the fact that they're not included on this. This is not a list of ranking, you know, who's, who's my highest TV crush. It's just, it's just who instantly came to mind and who really fits the discussion the best. So 
Like Rob Lowe, I apologize. Like you're not on this list, but you're definitely among these people. I just assume uh, that Rob Lowe is flawless and has never done anything wrong. It's true. I don't think Rob Lowe has ever made an acting mistake, including his appearance on Californication as Eddie Nero. So, yeah, that's that's why he's not on the list. Um, but no, my first choice, my first choice is one that I've probably talked about too many times on this podcast. But uh, Ben McKenzie from uh, from the OC. I uh, that was the one I first saw Ben McKenzie in, as I think everybody did. And um, it was just an instant connection where I wanted to track this guy. I wanted to watch more of what he had to do. I wanted to see just about everything that he had to offer. And um, for the most part, he's led me down some really good roads. Like I've seen a lot of great stuff because of the best thing I think I've seen other than the OC because of Ben McKenzie was Southland. And I think most people would agree that that's a great television show uh, if underseen, but you know, nevertheless, very, very good. And um, on top of that, there's there's independent movies like Junebug, which I really think is a, a terrific little film that I've seen a few different times now, and he's a very small part of that movie. And that was kind of one of the reasons I really like this discussion, because sometimes with TV stars, they don't necessarily become the lead of a movie or the lead of another TV show, and then they expose you to more good things that you really, really like, like Junebug. But, so, that said, Ben... What's something horrible that you watched just because Ben McKenzie was in it? Okay. Well, there's the number one by far with a bullet selection for the worst thing Ben McKenzie's ever done, and I don't think he would disagree, is 88 Minutes. Uh... And I don't even know how many of you are familiar with it. I, I can't quite gauge the status of this film because it has Al Pacino in the lead, and that gives it a little bit more notoriety. It's definitely one of his worst films, if not his absolute worst film. It came out, I think, shortly before Righteous Kill, which was his reteaming with De Niro, which was also a huge disaster. Um, so, I mean, it's not a good film, but I don't know if it's a bad enough film that people know it as, oh, my God, that movie's the worst movie I've ever seen. You have to watch it. But it's definitely a candidate. It's it's a, an awful film. And Mackenzie has a very small... Integral part, but a very small role in it, and that was that was literally the only reason I went in. I uh, I knew the movie was going to be pretty bad before I saw it. I saw it in theaters anyway, and um, it was probably a mistake. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Ben. That's it's okay. It's okay. He's he, his batting average is still way in the clear, so I'll keep following McKenzie wherever he goes. But uh, but Liz, what about you? Who's your first male TV crush? My first male TV crush is, uh, I've, I've been a very big fan of his since uh, the early 2000s, but good old Martin Freeman, uh, who won my heart forever and ever as Tim on The Office. I have never, I have, uh, I, I, there are a few times in my life I have wept the way that I wept during The Office Christmas special when Don comes back to The Office. It's, it's just too much, and I love him intensely. So... And the, the wonderful thing about loving Martin Freeman is that he has tends to have really interesting tastes and in projects, and he's gotten some really great opportunities over the years. I mean, I'm not saying the Hobbit movies are good, but I am saying I thoroughly enjoy sitting back and watching Martin Freeman pretend to be a Hobbit for two and a half hours. Like, that's an enjoyable time for me. And a Fargo, meanwhile, is just like... Fargo was incredible because it was Martin Freeman pushed to a new level... And, and a really staggering performance that, you know, made me dislike him, dislike his character. And this is an actor that I've been vaguely obsessed with 
not not obsessed, but vaguely very passionate about for over a decade. And to see him play a character that I actively reviled was, in, in, you know, just on its own merits, an incredible accomplishment. Well, it brings up an interesting point, too, because sometimes, I mean, you may be drawn to an actor and still recognize that he or she has flaws, but with, I mean, especially with Martin Freeman, you, you've gotten to watch him grow and develop and kind of strut his stuff for a long period of time in a lot of roles that require a lot of, have, have a lot of different demands. Right. So I mean, Fargo was an excellent example of that. And that's a, a good, that's a good moment for you as a, as a fan of his to be like, oh man, look at this additional thing that he's doing. Look at the attention he's getting for it, and you know the show as a whole is pretty great too. Yeah, definitely. That said, um, I have seen a few. You know, I have seen Martin Freeman be bad in things, and there are two big ones that come to mind. Uh, one is one is the basically both of them are both of them are films. One of them is this film called Confetti, which is from two thousand six, and it has actually a really solid cast of, at the time, big British actors, especially British actors from the television world. And it's just not good. It's like trying to be Christopher Guest and kind of falling apart as it goes. It's, 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 it's unfortunate. And the other thing worth mentioning is I maintain that the film adaptation of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is not awful. I'm not saying it's but I and I, I kind of firmly believe that is the best adaptation of that film of, of that book we were ever going to possibly get. That said, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, and I, he's, he's perfect casting as Arthur Dent. It's just not good. It's not. It's not bad. It's just. It's just not good. I think you've summed it up. Summed it up very well. That's Thank a very you. accurate description of Hitchhiker's Guide. <laughs> yeah, um, as much as I wanted to be great. But I mean, Martin Freeman actually has a decent track record, and most of the bad stuff he's been in hasn't attracted a lot of attention. So, well done, Martin Freeman. Well, let's not forget that he's also a, a very, I mean, just vital part of the success of Love Actually, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, romantic comedies ever made. Oh, uh, the Love Actually this discussion. I love his his scenes in Love Actually are my favorite. So there you go. I don't think they are my favorite, but they're definitely. I mean, they're top tier. They're up there. Yeah. They're the better half of everything that's great. So, yeah. Yes, they are on the good side of the of the of the Love Actually equation. No, there is no bad side, Liz. I don't know what you're trying to imply there, but I I, I think you just may have misspoke. It's fine. I, it's all right. Yeah, I'm I'm tired. I've watched a lot <laughs> of Narcos this week. <laughs> you're lucky I'm speaking in English. I uh, would take yeah, that would take it out of you at all. And we can't do subtitles on podcasts. I mean, this isn't video. We can't add that in. Yeah. So, Ben, give me a lady pick. Give me a lady pick from you. All right. Um, my first lady pick, let's say, is um, is one that definitely goes back to when I was younger. Uh, probably not my first TV crush, which would be one you're going to talk about shortly. Um, but uh, Jennifer Aniston on Friends was a huge deal to me when I was growing up. Um, oh, that's 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 that'll take you down some rabbit holes. Exactly. Yeah, it was. It's it's created a very interesting debate within my head about kind of the status of Jennifer Aniston as a as a good, great, bad actor. Like where she kind of falls along that line. Um, because as I was watching Friends, she just fit that part so perfectly. And obviously, a lot of the roles she got after that 
were trying to recreate that same magic and, and she was playing that same similar kind of character again and again and again, which admittedly got a little tiresome, but when she's had the opportunity to break out, she's definitely been able to do that. She's been able to extend herself more than people gave her credit for, and I think I'd argue right now that she is a very good actress who still needs that one role that will just kind of break everybody's back and make everyone get on board the, the Aniston train. But um, that being said, I mean, I honestly think, I mean, between The Good Girl, which was, I think, kind of her first indie effort, like real, you know, let's go out and, and make a name for myself as an actor role, and then more recently Cake, which got a little bit of Oscar buzz, had her right on the edge of, of that nomination. Um, I still think that my favorite role that she exposed me to was in The Switch, or, or just the film as a whole, like her role and the movie all together. Uh, the Switch was this little, I mean, studio rom-com with Jason Bateman that, uh, I mean, didn't make any waves, didn't really make any money, but everybody I've recommended it to and everybody that I talked to who's seen it really loves that movie. Like, it's just a very sweet, authentic uh, film, and, I mean, it's very much in Jennifer Aniston's hot zone. Like, she can just take this up and chew it out and, and, and be great. And she is. She she nails her part of the movie. Um, but I, I just was overjoyed to be exposed to something like that. And it's one that I find myself coming back to uh, again and again and again. Well, it's, it's a classic part of the, you know, it's I think it's one of the reasons why people find people, the women aren't funny argument gets like any sort of, gets any sort of like, I don't know, grip. What, I don't know what the word I'm looking for there is, but like mm, you know, true. like the pretty the pretty woman who's also a romantic comedy lead, like that's you know not necessarily the most comedically challenging role. No, no, but I mean the thing that's interesting about Aniston and what's interesting to me as someone who always defends comedies against dramas all the time. I've always I've always thought those are harder to pull off than a, than any kind of drama, but. Um, what's interesting about her is that she's so very good at that role and people almost don't give her any credit at all for even being good at that. And that in and of itself is a problem for me because it's not an easy thing to do. She definitely makes it look easy, which is half the battle of playing those kind of um, romantic comedy characters. But, I mean, she's very good at timing. She uh, understands you know, when and how to interact with, with men. She always has good chemistry with whoever she's working with, and that's, you know, an impossible task for some actresses, especially when she's in movies like Just Go With It or The Bounty Hunter against, you know, just some of the biggest duds on screen that you'll see in a while. So, I mean, I really do give her a lot of credit for the stuff that people take for granted, and then on top of that, when she tries to go outside of that zone, I'm still impressed by it. That said, Ben, what's the worst thing you, that you've ended up watching because she was in it? It's really hard to choose. I think the bounty hunter may be the one that I despise the most because I really like Gerard Butler just is atrocious. But he has such a likable screen presence, Ben. I completely disagree with that. I'm that joking. Is, I'm joking. <laughs> and it's just I, I've I've honestly heard people may try to make that argument to me that they're like, oh no, he's just a movie star. Like you you don't get it. Like he like, he's a movie. He's not trying to be a great actor. You can just tell he's a star. I'm like, no, that is an absurd, absurd notion you're trying to promote. But I, I do think that the worst thing I ever saw, and I'm not sure it could have been Scarlett Johansson's fault that I saw this as well, but he's just not that into you is Oof. just terrible. That's, I, 
I've, I think I've actually seen that twice just because it's on TV so many times. Oof. And there's no excuse for seeing it once, let alone twice. And, and, and I guess she's to blame for that more than, more than anybody else. But I, I really just blame myself, Liz. Then you know what? You're just not that into it. <laughs> the headline of every review for that movie. Yep, that's that sums it up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, Liz, tell me, tell me, tell me one of your your female TV crushes. Am I? Oh, yeah, I'm onto a lady now. Um, yeah. I'm switching it up on you. I'm switching from the person that no one's heard of to uh, I'm switching to Allison Janney. Oh, nice, good call. Yeah, I love. I love me some Allison Janney, C.J. Craig, transformative, transformative work on the West Wing. And then it's watching the West Wing was a revelation because you'd watch it and be like, this, this actor, this actor lady here is incredible. What else has she done? I wonder. And then you go and you check. You're like, oh, my God, she's in all these amazing movies playing all these interesting, bizarre, random roles like she's the guidance counselor writing a romance novel and 10 things I hate about you. She's, uh, she's the basically shell shocked mom in, uh, American beauty. It's, there's some, some amazing work in her resume. Um, even in, and so, I mean, it's impossible for me to say what the best thing she's been in is. I would, I want to say the West wing, but I love, I love her in Juno. I love her in, Again, uh, she's she's like has a small role in Primary Colors. That's incredible. Uh, like, yeah. like it's, it's just um, it's a, always so great to see her on screen. She's so delightful. Uh, that said, I did end up watching the Mom pilot because of her. And I'm not saying Mom is a bad show, especially from from what I understand, Mom is actually a pretty solid multi camera sitcom. But I watched it, and I was like, oh, no. I mean, I understand why you're doing this, Allison Janney. I understand. I really do. And across all levels, like, this is a really smart choice for you to be doing this multi-camera sitcom. But now you belong to the multi-camera sitcom world, and we'll, maybe one day we'll see you again in things I wa- want to watch regularly. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard the arguments that are pro-mom and I understand them, and I, there's definitely validity to certain aspects of them. But I, I've never been able to get on board that train as much as I love Allison Janney. Like, I, I, and actually, Anna Ferris, Anna Ferris, however you pronounce her first name, I apologize. Yeah, she's also very, very good. But uh, it's it's one of those rare occurrences for me where the two leads, no matter how good they are, can't quite carry the material, or at least make it watchable for me. So, yeah. I'm- and and meanwhile, you know that this is their life for most much of the year, so they're not doing other work. Kat Dennings is also in sitcom jail right yeah. now because of Two Broke Girls. And look, they're making a lot of money. They they have a nice regular work schedule, and they're having it's, it's you know the show they're having fun making television. Like I can't begrudge them any of this. I just kind of wish that they were doing stuff I was more excited about seeing. Yeah, it really is more of a detriment to their fans than than themselves like they're they're doing great work they're getting great exposure they're getting you know probably more opportunities in the limited extra time that they have to do other things to do bigger better things um here's hoping anyway but yeah for people who like with especially with Allison Janney when she's popping up in so many great smaller roles even in um what was that it was kind of bad uh it was a movie it was set in it was a summer movie it was the way way back is that yeah. right 
Oh, she was great in that. She was fantastic in that movie, and, and the movie itself wasn't very good, but I was glad I saw it just to see that, just to have that role that she created out of basically nothing in my head for the rest of my life. Like it, it's great stuff. Yes. So, Ben, give me a dude. Give me your second dude. <laughs> All right. Uh, my, second, my second dude choice is uh, none other than David Duchovny. Ah, Duchovny. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really hard probably to speak to just about anyone about my age who grew up watching as much television as I did, um, and Duchovny isn't pretty high on the list. Like, most of my friends have a soft spot for, for David Duchovny because of the X-Files. I yeah. mean, Well, you, you've got the X-Files, and then you follow that up with Californication, and those are two pretty significant franchises, that both of which use his talents in really interesting ways. And both of which really were perfectly timed for the development of, like, a, a young boy into a man. Like, by the time Californication came out, I was ready to watch the TV MA version of David Duchovny. And before that, I was ready to watch the TV PG, TV 14 version of David Duchovny. And, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it really does just kind of work out. And, he, and because of it... I mean, I'm excited to see and, and read and listen to just about anything he does. Like his, his recent, I don't know how you want to put it, Liz, but his, his midlife crisis, so to speak, where he's got a book out and a... a, a you mean his sad dad band? Yeah, and a sad dad band. Um, it's not, he's got it's just, just enough artistic merit for me to justify reading that book and listening to that album without, eh, without too much shame. Look, I, I did my David Duchovny deep dive in the 90s, like everyone else. I watched Californication. I watched, not Californication, I'm sorry, California with a K, uh, which is this ridiculous yeah. serial killer movie from 1993, yeah. co-starring Brad Pitt and Juliette Lewis, and Michelle yep. Forbes. Yep. And he has an earring in it. He does, yes. And he was in The Rapture, which is a really weird movie, starring Mimi Rogers, who would then later on go on to guest star on The X-Files. Fact. Yes. We don't like Mimi Rogers, though. She's bad. Yeah. She's a bad person, Ben. That's true. She, 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 did, she, didn't she do uh, Tom Cruise dirty? Or did he dump her? Mm, I don't know the specifics of that relationship other than it existed. This, is a, this has been uh, talking about 90s relationships with Liz and Ben. Yeah, and it touched on two big... I mean, Tom Cruise and David Duchovny talk about crushes. Yeah. They have both kissed the same lips. They are basically Eskimo brothers. Oh, good for them. Yeah, they probably are. Es Everyone in Hollywood is probably Eskimo Brothers at this point. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so what's I, I just mentioned a couple of things that I've watched that David Duchovny was in. What's your what's your what's your nader? Oh, uh, there are, there are some good choices on this list. Yeah, I I, I mean. I'm never going to go with the first thing that I see him in because I want to stay true to kind of what we're talking about here. Like, I saw him in The X-Files. That's easily the best thing he's ever done. But because it was the first thing, I want to talk about more of the things that I, I watched be just because of him, not because I was, you know, kind of exposed well, I, I, to it for the reasons. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think the best thing I've actually seen that Duchovny did was a little movie called Trust the Man. Oh, yeah. I never saw that. It's got uh, Julianne Moore and Maggie Gyllenhaal and another actor yeah. name I'm blanking on who actually has a pretty good performance. And it's like a kind of Woody Allen imitation movie. It's New York, um, relationships, 
kind of as they develop, how they change, very based in kind of the sexual realm. Um, he's very good in it, and honestly, it's more of a show for the women. Julianne Moore and Maggie Gyllenhaal are obviously tremendous actors, mm-hmm. and they just knock their roles out of the park, or out of the park, excuse me. But the movie as a whole is just very enjoyable. Like it's it's just a very focused effort. I feel like it it's it's small for a reason. It works that way. It's not trying to present too many bigger ideas. It's very much a personal story. But it still does discuss topics that will be relevant to just about everybody. And um, I don't know. It just stuck with me. It was just one of those movies that really held on. So I, I would strongly recommend Trust the Man to anybody who I, uh, who I just described as being kind of a, a David Duchovny addict. What, what's, the, uh, what's the worst thing? The worst thing is, is Californication. Um, wow. <laughs> I, it's, not, it's not the worst thing he's ever done because the first season is one of the best things he's ever done. And even what comes after that isn't as bad as some of those little movies that we're not going to mention. Um, But the amount of time that you have to sink in to seasons two through seven just because of liking David Duchovny and enjoying that character so much, the lack of payoff at the end of it is just inexcusable and makes the rest of it really bad. The judges... yeah. I'd have to go with that. It's a good answer. The judges would have also accepted evolution. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's one of the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so it's my turn, I guess. Am, you I, bet. On, am I onto a dude or a lady right now? Mm, take your pick. Alright. I'll go I'll go lady because, you know, clearly clearly we're going to go this is the direction we're going in. Uh I pick uh, my my one of course I'm a, I have a TV crush on Jillian Anderson. What are you talking about? Don't you have a crush on TV crush on Jillian Anderson? Don't you just have a flat out crush on Jillian Anderson? You have a flat out crush on Jillian Anderson. She's great. Yes, it's real. It's a real thing. Yes, and I'm just going to blast through this really quickly because we're, we're we are taking our time with this. And also, how much time can you spend talking about how great Jillian Anderson is? The answer is a lot of time. Sure. But I I don't think I would have watched this little film called Tristan Shandy without her being in it in a pretty significant, as her playing herself, no less. And I'm really glad I did. It's based on, it's Tristan Shandy's this very weird postmodern movie starring Steve Coogan and Rob O'Brient, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And it's, you know, they're a comedy duo, you probably recall, from, like, uh, the movies like The Trip and The Trip to Italy. But this was their first big project, I think, with Michael Winterbottom, who directed those. And Tristan Shandy's, like, basically, it's a period piece. It's a behind-the-scenes making of a period piece. It's uh, Steve Coogan having a midlife crisis. It's uh, <laughs> Jillian Anderson playing herself, playing an actor they've brought in to make this period piece. And it's all really delightful. And it's, 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 it's a kind of a, and it takes like a weird existential turn at the end. It's actually really sweet in that respect. And I, and this is very purely like, I would not have heard of this goddamn movie if it hadn't been for Jillian Anderson. And I'm so glad that I did. So that's a recommendation. Good choice. And then, (laughs) um, Jillian Anderson hasn't done actually a ton of work since leaving the X-Files, but God Bless Crisis. I watched every stupid episode of Crisis when it premiered back in back in uh, in in when it when it aired last year on NBC. And 
I think, Ben, I think this is probably one of the first times I wrote something really ridiculous. And I, I feel like it was like a first, the first time you really got to understand just what kind of idiot for television I am. Um, because Yeah, it, was, it wasn't even that you wrote the article. It was more when you would mention to me that you were keeping up with the show. Like you'd seen enough of it to know it wasn't good and it was probably going to get canceled, but you were still pretty devoted. And at that moment, I was like, okay. I think I understand Liz a little bit better. It was so dumb, but I couldn't stop watching it. It was so, it was like, just, it was, it was, kind, it was really, it wasn't even hate watching. I would just watch it and be like, yeah, sure. This is a television show that's airing on national television, on the national broadcasting company. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. crisis. Rest in peace, crisis. Mm. Are you on to a lady or a dude now? Uh, I'm on my last one and it's, it's a lady. Okay. Uh, and it's none other than than Coach's wife, Connie Britton. Coach's wife. Uh, I I adore Connie Britton. I think she's a tremendous actress. I love the path that she's going down right now, where she's kind of hitting a lot of really good indie movies and getting small parts and bigger productions, and then kind of like moving on. I mean, she's still got Nashville kind of not really going on anymore, but that helped her after Friday Night Lights and a few other things to to really hit some good spots. So very quickly. Um, the the best thing that I saw Connie Britton or the best thing I saw because of Connie Britton was uh, a little movie called The To Do List. Oh yeah, uh, and I really thought that was a tremendous film. I, uh, I I'm a sucker for those kind of stories. If you can't tell already from my first choice being you know a show, a, a, an actor from the OC, but uh, those coming of age kind of high school comedies really strike a chord with me, and that one was done very very well. Um, just, just it's it's directed written directed by a woman uh, whose name I'm blanking on right now and Ma- Maggie and, Carey. I just yeah, looked, I just looked it up. Thank you so much. Yeah, that she's just she really nailed this, and um, it's got a big supporting cast. So there's there's an argument to be made that I saw for more than just Connie Britton, but it was kind of the moment in the trailer when I saw that Connie Britton was playing the main character's mom, where I was like, okay, this means that that character isn't just a one-note character. It's going to have more to do. She's going to have a lot of things going on. She's going to have some depth to her. And then Connie Britton is just a very funny actress, and I like to see that side of her come out. Um, so, yeah, I very much like the to-do list. Highly recommend that no matter what. Um, I wanted to mention one more thing that was a surprise, and it would be my worst pick if it had actually been bad. But my best friend and I tuned in to watch the very first season of American Horror Story because Connie Britton was on it. Oh. And we expected it to just be trash, like to just be really laughable, awful, soapy crap. And then we both got pretty freaked out and engaged and respected the hell out of it and and really, really enjoyed it. So, I mean, that, that one was a huge surprise for me. I wouldn't have ever given it a chance if not for Connie Britton. Um, so that was great. And then the worst thing that I think she's made me watch is Nashville. And Nashville was actually okay from the start, but then kind of halfway through the first season took a, a turn that it could never really recover from. So it sounds so. like it sounds like it's gone into a really high high soap level. Yeah, it was it was always kind of teasing at that, and then the music would help keep it grounded. And when they kind of lost T Bone Burnett and some of the you know good music supervisors creators for that show. That definitely hurt it, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, it it just spun off in a few directions. And the finale of that first season is is just one of the most disappointing, ridiculous finales you'll see. Even if you were believing this to be only kind of a nighttime soap entertainment. 
So, uh, you want to hear some uh, completely unsubstantiated gossip? Always. Uh, I heard. I've once. I once heard from somebody that apparently Connie Britton, just like on during when they were shooting Friday Night Lights, she was not in a relationship, and a lot of those boys were over eighteen. Oh well, Liz, that's just. No, I'm saying. No, I'm saying like you know, hey, <laughs> Connie Britton can get it. Well, I mean, there's there was never any real doubt of that, Liz. I mean, come on, Connie Britton is is an incredible talent. She's incredibly smart. She's obviously very attractive. She's awesome. I I mean, uh, of all the crushes that I've just rattled off, the only one I haven't met is Jennifer Aniston, and the other three did not disappoint. At least they're all very nice, kind people. So I don't. I'm not surprised at all to know that Connie Britton can can uh, can date, see, hang out with whoever she wants. Yes, fact. Uh, but what about you, Liz? What's your fourth crush? My my final my final crush uh, for this list uh, is a gentleman who I have seen. I've, I've been less less focused on in in recent years, but has always been very dear to my heart. Which who is David Tennant, a good good old David Tennant from Scotland Land. And David Tennant uh, is just like a really, he's such a committed actor uh, in everything I've seen him in. And he really brings a focus and an energy to the, to his work that plays beautifully. Of course, I first discovered him, discovered him like I alone made this discovery. The first thing I really saw him in was Doctor Who. Uh, and then I was read, I would read about how, he was a giant Doctor Who fan as a kid, and playing the Doctor was the one thing he wanted more in the world. And I was like, "Okay, you, I, 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 I'm picking up what you're laying down." And so I started digging into a lot of his, the, a lot of the work he had done prior to it. And he's got like he's played some really interesting roles. Uh, like there's a, a lot, and a lot. Of, both of my picks are, for this are miniseries. Uh, my, the worst thing I saw because he's in it, and the best thing I saw, uh, probably the best thing I saw. It's not. It's a, the a second runner-up is this miniseries called Casanova, which was made in two thousand five, written by Dave, uh, Russell T Davies, who of course also spearheaded the revival of Doctor Who, and it's a really weird, dark, funny, sad, beautiful little retelling of the story life story of Giacomo Casanova. It makes the Jean Pierre Jeunet Amazon pilot look like complete garbage. And I, there's some amazing writing in it, some amazing actors beyond David Tennant. It's really worth checking out. It's on Amazon Prime, actually, right now. You can go watch it. Peter O'Toole plays old Casanova, and uh, Rose Byrne plays the handmaiden that uh, old Casanova's trying to seduce. Um, you cannot go wrong with that combo. Nope. Uh, so, all that said, uh, that's a really great thing. Uh that's a really great thing that uh, David Tennant was in. A year or two before, though, he is in the goddamn trashiest miniseries I've ever seen called Secret Smile, where he plays, like, he plays this guy that a woman picks up for a one-night stand, and then he becomes obsessed with her, and then he starts dating her sister, and it gets really weird and creepy and strange. It's like... He's like a complete psychopath by the end, and it's 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 like a lifetime movie, but three hours long, like straight through, and again, just so trashy. And 
I enjoyed it. I watched it with, I, I remember watching it and being like, this is so ridiculous. I have to make everyone I know watch it. It's the classic, this tastes awful. You got to try it. Um, <laughs> But if you actually, uh, I, I used a clip from Secret Smile to illustrate a point recently about about David Tennant's ability to play a creep, uh, because David Tennant, of course, is going to be in the upcoming Jessica Jones uh, Marvel series. It's very exciting, and the character he's playing very much on the line of crazy. Very if they keep it all to the comics, the character he's playing is very much malevolent, crazy presence. And so we'll see how that shakes out. But in the meantime, Secret Smile, it's complete garbage. But, I mean, not garbage, but it's not good. And I watched it at least three times. Having not seen Secret Smile, I am still surprised that you did not choose Grace Point. Eh. You really haven't seen Secret Smile. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing you could say to me to convince me why Grace Point isn't the worst thing David Tennant has led you to. I mean, I, I, I did not care for Grace Point all that mm -hmm. much, but I didn't hate it as much as you did. Uh, yeah, that was a that was a bad that was a bad show, Liz. Bad. We watched we watched two whole episodes of it. No, yeah, I I saw a little bit more out of Really? Unfortunate obligation, but Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, Ben. Yeah. Alright. Well, I mean, I, I feel like this is... I, hopefully you guys got something out of this other than, like, a laundry list of people that we think are attractive, which you probably could have derived from any other of our podcasts. It's um, if you want to tell us who your favorite TV crushes are, please do so. We'd love to hear about them. Yeah, and it's also... I mean, the, the argument for me uh, that's, that's very interesting in all of this is just kind of how you feel about it. If you feel guilty for having this kind of crush and you can't explain why you're watching so many bad shows or movies or whatever, or if you feel very confident about it, it was something that developed. Like, I mean, there's no shame in Gillian Anderson ever, like ever. There's not a chance. Even with crisis. Exactly. But like the, you could make an argument for David Duchovny or Jennifer Aniston where it's like, okay, they've made so many duds or, or what most people consider duds that uh, that maybe there's some shame there, and how you feel about that, how you kind of um, cope with that, to, like how you explain that to, explain that to yourself is is very interesting. Yeah. So, with that said, let's really quickly do uh, best thing next thing. Uh, no problem, Liz. Uh, my best thing that I saw last week was Happy Endings, which is a long canceled. ABC sitcom, but uh, I've been revisiting it on DVD because it's really the only way to watch it unless you want to pay an absurd amount on iTunes or whatever to, to get the digital copies. Um, and frankly, it, it's, it's a reminder for me of how important cast chemistry is in making sitcoms work and comedies in general um, because that first, those first maybe five episodes, maybe a little bit less of Happy Endings, they're not great, but you can see that they're developing towards something without even knowing what's to come. You can tell that they're really starting to gel and that something great could come out of this. And in today's day and age, you may not make it five episodes if you're not a hit right off the bat. So um, so that's that's definitely the best thing I've been watching and, and hopefully a reminder that sometimes things need a little bit of room to develop. Yeah, I totally agree with that 100%. Like That cast is incredible. Absolutely. What about you, Liz? What's your best thing? Uh, best thing, oh man, I just watched the Hannibal finale, you guys. The yes. Hannibal finale. It was very upsetting. Very upsetting, but damn did that show go out 
like swinging, I guess is the best way to put it. And maybe it hit it out of the park. Baseball terms. Oh, sportsing. Sportsing. Uh, but yes, Hannibal, I mean, it's one of those things where I immediately started figuring out who I can talk to about it and when I can talk to them about it. And it's, 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 I'm very upset about certain elements of it that I'm sure you can figure out if you've seen it, but still it, you know, that, that show did not pull its punches. Bravo. Um, Ben, next thing you're looking forward to. Leftover season two, Liz, next thing you're looking forward to. Next thing I'm looking forward to is uh, is uh, Moonbeam City. <laughs> Sorry, good choice. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward. It's the, the we've talked about it before already at least once on this podcast. But Rob Lowe doing guest voices, uh, doing the lead voice in a incredibly bizarre looking animated series. Uh, I'm looking forward to really digging into it and watching more and all that. And I want to take, I'm, I'm glad we, we got through that pretty quickly, which is great. Cause now uh, I wanted to do, a, I want us to quickly shout out to uh, some very nice people who tweeted at us over the last week or so about, about the podcast. I, so I want to shout out to Daniel Potowski who uh, agreed with us totally about the affair. Um, I think he probably agreed more with Ben than me, but I think we, you know, I, I'm glad we're all on the same page, Daniel. Very wise man, Daniel. Yes. And also a shout out to uh, Avril Z, uh, who feel, uh, who thinks, who, who's, our, who's apparently our new best friend. And uh, I'm glad that she's listening. And uh, apparently she feels the need to listen to The Leftovers for some reason after listening to a couple of episodes of this podcast. And I have no idea where that came from. I can't imagine. But I mean, good for her. I'm glad she's able to discern, you know, good television from great television and really, you know, go after it. Yeah. And also shout out to everyone yesterday. We uh, did a, uh, as, as you listen to this, it'll be last week, but we did a Reddit AMA uh, for just kind of to talk about the end of the summer season, the beginning of the fall season, what we're looking forward to coming up. And that was a lot of fun. And you guys, and if you're, you know, some people said that they liked the podcast. So we want, I wanted to say hi back. Thank you for listening to us. Yeah, guys, thanks for engaging us. It's uh, it's always good to get feedback, whether it's Twitter, uh, Reddit, you know, email, whatever. I mean, it's it's really nice to hear from you guys and know that, you know, this is more of a discussion than than just us talking to ourselves. Yes. And speaking of Twitter and so forth, then you can be found at twi- on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. That is absolutely correct. And Liz, you can be found on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Yes, and for both of us writing about television, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you care about, none of the stuff you don't, except for some of the stuff you don't care about, you don't really care about Narcos, you guys, trust me. Um, not that I hate Narcos, I'm just saying you can you can let that one slide. Uh, but the important point is, thank you guys, uh, check, out, check out IndieWire.com for all of that stuff. Absolutely, and make sure you listen to our sister podcasts. Uh, Screen Talk, hosted by Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson, as well as IndieWire Influencers with our editor-in-chief, Dana Harris. I believe uh, Dana Har- Dana's next uh, guest is Derek Waters, uh, who yeah. created the show Drunk History, and he is a good time, friends. Yeah, definitely worth listening to what this guy has to say. Yes. So uh, that wraps up everything. Uh, thank you again for listening, and as always, keep watching television. Keep watching television.